Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Random Rewatch. Thank you for coming in. And this time we are looking at the year 2001 and we are looking at Cameron Crowe's psychological thriller, Vanilla Sky. That stars Tom Cruise, Cameron Diaz, and Penelope Cruz. No relation. Open your eyes. We've got a situation here. What is this? I didn't do this. You've been charged with murder. Boo. No murder. No one, Sophia. Back. These people are dangerous. They want to steal my life. There's an explanation for all this, David. So as usual, we're going to kind of dive deep into this, um, take some quick thoughts about it. Yes, I'm going to spoil this 22-year-old movie. Uh, so if you haven't seen it, maybe you want to stop, hit pause, go watch the movie, bring it back and listen to uh, what I got to say and see if you think the same things that I think. Um, so this is a movie that I remember seeing like maybe once. I don't, I didn't see it in the theater. I think I probably saw it when it hit, you know, HBO or Showtime or whatever pay TV channel it was on. I'm guessing probably around 2003, 2002. The film came out in December of 2001. It was a Christmas movie. I've seen some notes that have said that it was actually due to come out earlier. It was uh, supposed to come out in uh, either late August or September. And I guess it's probably a good thing for this film that it didn't because as we know, you know, any movies that came out in, in, that time frame right before or right after 9-11 did not fare very well. I mean, this film was not really immensely popular anyway. It made a, a total of about $203 million on a budget of 68 So it barely broke even. Um, in case you're wondering where my math comes from, typically you've got to figure between, between advertising what they call P&A, prints and advertising, actually distributing the film out and paying off all the investors and the people who need to be paid, all the, the back-end costs and finances, and then just advertising and marketing the film. You figure the actual cost of a, of a Hollywood film is about three times its production budget. So this film probably, at the end of the day, costs pretty close to, the, to $200 million, and it just about made $200 million. So it... Uh, it was not what you uh, would call a big hit. My my remembrance of this film is that I really didn't like it. Perhaps I didn't understand it. Perhaps it was just a little bit too weird. Tom Cruise was in a, I don't know, kind of a weird place in his career. Hits like A Few Good Men and, and The Firm and Mission Impossible were you know pretty far behind him. At this point, he was just coming through a patch that was like, Eyes Wide Shut and Magnolia and Mission Impossible 2. And then he uh and then he hits this one, Vanilla Sky. And it was it was kind of it's kind of a weird uh piece for him. Although you know, this this film's got a little bit of sci-fi going on to it. His next film is uh Minority Report, which is obviously a heavy sci-fi film. Um, and then from that, he goes into, uh, what does he go into? He goes to Last Samurai in 2003. But this was kind of a weird position for him. But I'm a big Tom Cruise fan. You know, he's got far 
more hits with me than he has misses. And the, uh, you know, Cameron Diaz in this film, you know, she was coming off a couple of good things. She had Shrek the same year, earlier in the year. She had Charlie's Angels the year before um, in 2000. She had, uh, you know, the year before that, she had Any Given Sunday being John Malkovich. You know, she was working a lot around this time. 98, I think, was something about, there's something about Mary um, and Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. So she was having a pretty decent career. So watching, you know, having her come into this was great. And then, you know, Penelope Cruz, this was a lot, a lot of people's introduction to her as an actress in America. You know, she had obviously done a lot of great work in Spanish films. And, uh, you know, for people to see her in this was kind of their first glimpse of her. So this this film is actually, pretty interestingly, this is a remake of a Spanish film from 1998 called uh, Abre los Ojos, which is directed by uh, a director named uh, Alejandro Amenabar. Um, it's basically the same story. Penelope Cruz reprises her role as Sofia in this. And Tom Cruise had seen this film at Sundance. I don't know, my, my voice just squeaked there. He had seen this film at Sundance and really liked it, really liked the questions it was asking. And uh, so so Tom and Paul Wagner, his partner, they, had, they optioned the film to remake it for an American audience. And Tom went immediately to Cameron Crowe, who he had worked with in uh, Jerry Maguire. Um, Crowe had already seen the film and loved the film uh, and really wanted to try to bring this to an American audience. And, and so they're off to the races. And this film is, is a little bit different than the Spanish film. It's much brighter. I think it leans more into kind of the surrealness of what David is experiencing, what Tom Cruise's character is experiencing, whereas uh, Abre los Ojos is, is darker, um, probably a lower-budget film, but it takes advantage of that. And so just to kind of give a brief synopsis of this, this is, uh, you know, Tom Cruise plays this uh, guy named David who is a publishing magnate or publishing heir, really his father's died left control of uh, a big publishing company to him and he's living the life of a playboy in manhattan on the upper west side he's got a kind of friends with benefits relationship with cameron diaz's character julie he meets at a party his birthday party he meets sophia who's played by penelope cruz and he's immediately taken by her and falls in love with her and Julie uh, is extremely jealous and extremely uh, needy. Cameron Diaz plays this role fantastically and meets him like outside when he's on his way to work and convinces him to get in her car and they're driving and she starts really kind of doing like the, you know, the psycho girlfriend thing. And, and he's obviously, he goes from being uncomfortable to scared really quickly. She winds up driving the car off a bridge, uh, and we find out that Julie dies, and David is horribly disfigured, but is in a coma. So, um, for reasons only known to 
you know, the story, he, uh, they can't do any surgery on him to correct his deformity of his face because of this coma. And so he winds up like permanently disfigured and he winds up wearing this mask, this really eerie mask, like this Tom Cruise mask is the only way I can describe it. So, so the story is told in these weird flashbacks where he's in a room with, uh, with a psychologist who's played by Kurt Russell. And we come to find out that he killed Sophia. And so this movie starts moving back and forth in time. Um, and the long and the short of this is, is that we find out that this movie in this movie that David has taken advantage of this thing called life extension, which is basically cryonics. Uh, this company will freeze you until you can be cured. So to speak, you find out that this, this, that David is actually uh, 150 years in the future. Everything, his psychologist, his continuing relationship with Sophia after his accident, everything is all a dream. What he, what, what's called a lucid dream in this, in this frozen state that he's in. But it's a glitch. It turns into a nightmare. And so there's this whole question of what's real, what's not real. As you're watching the movie, you don't really understand what's real, what's going on, and. You, you come to the end where this whole thing is basically explained to David and he has to make a choice whether or not to wake up and live back in the real world now that they can cure him and do the surgery and, and correct him or if he wants to go back into his dream. So it's kind of this total recall kind of situation, but um, much more surreal. And... You know, I think Cameron Crowe really brings that to light in this film with the way that he shoots it. Because unlike the Spanish film, it's much brighter. It's much more vivid. There's colors popping. There's a lot of pop culture references and movie quotes and and musical cues, um, which we come to understand are all these things that David has remembered from his life. And he's inserting them into his dream. And, and Cameron Crowe, he shoots it in a way that it's difficult to tell what's dream and what's reality. You know, a lot of times you'll see a, a film or a TV show that deals with these kind of reality things. And, you know, you'll find that the director has changed the way, like the dream sequences are shot. Like in Westworld, when you were inside the, inside the computer, everything was framed in, in widescreen. Whereas, if you were in the real world, everything was framing 16 or in the green night, you'll, you'll find that there are changes in perspective. And as, uh, you know, Gawain gains knowledge and focuses on his realities, Dave Lowry will change the lens from a widescreen lens, from a wide lens to, uh, to a tight lens, to a, a longer lens and give you a different kind of feeling of immersion. Crow doesn't really do a lot of that. Um, so it's really up to context clues and what you're watching to give you this idea. And this is a film that's going to need multiple viewings to really kind of soak into it. And, and so I guess I'm going to tell you, I actually wound up on this rewatch 20 years later. I wound up really liking this film and thinking, wow, this is something that I've missed. Um, how did I miss this? How clever this film is. And maybe it's just because... I understand film more. Maybe it's just because I'm older um, and I can relate to David on a level that I probably couldn't relate to him, you know, in my early thirties. 
having lived a little bit more life, I can kind of feel his his pain and his, and understand the desperation that he has, both in the stresses of his life, his career, and everything that's going on with that, and also this relationship that he has with Sophia. And you get to the end and you're left to kind of wonder, you know, what you're really looking at and what really happened and how did David wind up? I mean, Crow leaves it somewhat ambiguous. I guess there was originally a cut that was longer where he kind of nailed it down a little more as to what David's choice. So basically at the end, uh, the representative of this company, which is played by a character in his dream called Tech Support, gives him a choice, like I said, of waking up or staying in his dream and... He says he wants to wake up, but then his actions indicate that maybe because they said, you have any, you know, anything you want. And they're like, you know, he says, read my mind. And then Sophia appears, you know, so you're given the thought, think, well, maybe he changed his mind and decided to stay in the dream after all. So they leave it kind of ambiguous, but I think. I think it's fairly clear, and I've watched that ending a few times now, I think it's fairly clear that he decides to go back into the dream. Uh, sorry, that he decides to wake up and move on. Um, you know, this famously, this kind of the last second of the film is this thing where he hears uh, a voice say, you know, open your eyes, which is a theme throughout film. You know, abre los ojos means open your eyes. And... This is something that has said to him several times during the film. And so when you get to the end of it, it's unclear whether whether this is someone in his dream telling him this or this is actually him waking up from his dream and someone who's actually there at his bedside is telling him to open his eyes. But I think the film, in retrospect, the film makes it fairly clear that he is actually waking up. So like I said, this film, you know, didn't, didn't do particularly well. Made a little over two hundred million. It's got like a forty-three percent on Rotten Tomatoes, and I, I kind of understand that. It's a difficult film to wrap your head around. Um, it's not immediately clear as to what's going on. It's told non-linearly, so it's difficult to follow. Um, there's some really cool shots in it. The opening sequence near the beginning of the movie is, you know, David. Uh, gets in his car and he's driving and he winds up in Times Square, which is completely empty. Apparently they actually filmed that. They, they, they got permits from New York City for, you know, a few hours on the, on a morning, on a November morning and cordoned off Times Square. All the lights are on. There's nobody in there. Um, and apparently they started at like, you know, five, six o'clock in the morning. They started shooting and they shot the sequence and they had some time left over. They had a couple hours left over. And so they're, they're trying to think of something to do with this time that they have in this empty Times Square. And according to the story, Tom Cruise went to Cameron Crowe and goes, well, I could run. And we all know that Tom Cruise can run. Nobody runs in a movie like Tom Cruise. And so they filmed him running through an empty Times Square. And, you know, some of that stuff made it into the film. So like I said, it's got a 43 on Rotten Tomatoes, which I completely get. It's got a D minus on Metacritic. You know, I think this is just a film that either people didn't understand or just had a difficult time wrapping their head around. Or maybe it was just December 2001. We were all still kind of in a daze from, from 9-11. And it's possible this just wasn't the right film at the right time. 
Uh, Roger Ebert gave it three out of four stars. He had a, he his review is pretty interesting. He says this is a quote here. Uh, Think it all the way through, and Cameron Crowe's Vanilla Sky is a scrupulously moral picture. It tells the story of a man who is just about everything, thinks he can have it all, is given a means to have whatever he wants, and loses it because, well, maybe because he has a conscience, or maybe not. Maybe it's just because life sucks. You know, that's an interesting kind of viewpoint, and I, I think it's, you know, probably pretty right. David is not a terrible person. He is, um, you know, when you see these kind of, you know, millionaire playboy types, yeah, he's kind of, he's kind of um, snarky and sarcastic and, you know, treats the, uh, the members of the board of his company, who he calls the seven dwarfs. He doesn't treat them very well, but he, he is generally a fairly decent person throughout this film, other than the fact that, you know, he starts a relationship with Sophia who is introduced to by his best friend who is really infatuated with her. His best friend brings her to the party and, you know, David basically steals her away from him and she calls him out on it. And he does try to kind of justify it a little bit. And then, you know, after his, uh, after the accident, you know, she comes across as that she is kind of horrified by his disfigurement. Um, but then there's a moment and we come to understand that it's the moment where the dream starts and they have this wonderful relationship after that. Um, yeah, this is kind of this is kind of a good movie, and I think you should probably watch it. Yeah, you should watch it. You should definitely watch it. And uh, so that's about it. So I'm gonna hit the random number generator right now and see what year we're doing next. So we've got the years 2000. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, so there's some there's some interesting stuff that came out in 2000. Um, Boiler Room. Ah, I can't do Boiler Room. I love that movie. And I know I love that movie. Uh, if I really wanted to hurt myself, I could do Battlefield Earth. I don't think I would do that to you. There's a bunch of stuff. I got to go through the list and see what, uh, what, we, what we could possibly do in 2000. Wasn't that... Um, oh, the two Mars movies, right? Mission to Mars and Red Planet. I haven't seen Red Planet in a minute. Maybe maybe we do that one. Um, I don't know. I'm thinking maybe, maybe American Psycho, though. I don't know. I'll pick something, um, and we'll go through it, and we'll figure out what's going on. All right? So thanks for listening, and I will see you on the next time. And don't forget to listen to the main show where Nell and I are going to be talking about uh, the, the Ahsoka season, the first season of Ahsoka. Maybe about Loki, maybe about some Forza stuff, a couple other things. All right? Thanks, guys.